<laughs> Good old Mercury in retrograde. All right, just let us know when we're live again. Uh, we should be now. We're we're streaming. You know, everything looks good, so we're back. We're live, baby. We're live. Baby. All right. Yeah, and that's the that is the example of life. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Or or Murphy's law, you know. If it, if we can break it, will yeah. Yeah, right. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so, assuming that we're uh, back on the air again, uh, we can go back where we left off. I, th- I think we were speculating uh, about life, uh, you know, on a place like Titan where uh, maybe it's possible to have intelligent life it, with, with uh, structures that uh, we in our current state of scientific knowledge, uh, would not acknowledge uh, possible. And yeah. we were kind of speculating on that. And, you know, and of course, Thomas, the beauty, beauty about him is uh, uh, he'll, he's always honest, you know. Hey, the beauty uh, about me is you can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the beauty about me. You know? uh, Making... Uh, we can, we can argue that, but there's I a, can a see you. <laughs> I remember. Right. Uh, oh, what was it? There was some interview I was on, and they were talking about this paranormal investigator. And I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Horton. Horton? Yeah. And they were talking about what he found in certain research. And it just came out of my head. I just said, Horton, here's a who. <laughs> these guys just about died oh my, <laughs> oh my. anyway uh, alright let's take a look at a couple things for example and, and for me you know I'm I like to dwell on the theoretical mm-hmm. aspects of my work not only because I am an expert at super geometry right <laughs> the world's one, foremost. Yes, one may say the world's leading expert on supergeometry. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, my focus is on the theoretical aspects <clears throat> rather than on the uh, uh, the physical manifestations of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't really need to know exactly how I'm put together as a human being to breathe, sleep, eat, you know, put my clothes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, <clears throat> but let's, let's just point a couple th- things out as I was, that I was relating to with dynamic stability. Okay. And at least you have clothes on. So that's, <laughs> how do oh, you I'm know? Sorry, that you not see me? <laughs> well, you just you said you put your clothes me. on. Can yeah. Be, I didn't say I did that, that right now. Different. I like to broadcast in the in the rough, you know, but that's for another show altogether. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 yeah. making an assumption here. Hey. No, I'm just painting a very uncomfortable uh, uh, image for anyone listening. <laughs> it would be disquieting. That's yeah. true. <laughs> and a lot uh, of groaning out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> anyway, let's just take a look at the Earth, for example, and take a look at the kind of life that's on on Earth. And again, I want to just hit some very broad points uh, to stimulate the thought in, in into this area. 
Life requires a highly complex combination of elements and compounds mm-hmm. organized in a specific way. I was talking about the organization of it uh, uh, with super geometric theory to an extent. <clears throat> but one of the things that is necessary for those processes to take place between all of those elements need a couple of different things. You need a solvent in which all these elements can be dissolved so that they can interact. Mm -hmm. And you need a temperature level so that you have sufficient molecular activity to have these these, 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 uh, components interact. This is one of the key things about water because water can do all those things. And we're at a distance from the sun that we have the right temperature for water to be stable as a solvent and to have this dynamism on our planet that would input all these various compounds and chemicals into that water and to have them mix and interact in a very dynamic and orderly way. Now, another thing we have a dynamism, take a look at our particular planet where we can have water perpetually frozen solid on our, on, on our poles. Mm-hmm. It is solid all the time. Obviously, uh, very little uh, molecular activity can take place uh, at that level. It's very limited which is why our refrigerators are able to preserve our food. But on the same planet, when we go down in the depths of the ocean, we have places where water is boiling all the time for millions of years, both on the same planet. So we have that kind of dynamism. We have an internal temperature from the liquid molten core of our planet, which heats it from below, even at levels that the sun cannot heat Mm -hmm. from above. But the sun is also necessary for the driving of the weather, which erodes the surface, which further creates elements and compounds and converts them to a form where they can be dissolved in water. Mm-hmm. You see the kind of complexity I'm talking about? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I would look at, you know, with not being an exobiologist, I would look at Titan and say, do we have those elements present on the planet of Titan? Can liquid methane serve as a solvent for all the various types of elements that would be necessary to go put together a highly complex physical form. Uh, do we have the dynamism on Titan to release all the various compounds that would be needed to assemble a life form and sufficient dynamism to keep those things in constant mixture and in contact with each other? So I would say, based on what we know, if Titan does not have those elements, it would be very difficult to see how it would form life. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I personally don't know enough about methane as a solvent. The best thing I know about methane is when I expel some, I do it to annoy my wife. <laughs> but that uh, again, for another show altogether. Yes, and, and, and there may be life in that. We'd yeah. have to take a measurement. We'd have to make an observation. Well, um, again, you're talking theoretical, and, and the thing that always tickles me is that, you know, it's it's like 300 years ago when we had whatever standard model of science we had, we kind of thought we knew everything. You mentioned uh, us as an egotistical species, thinking that we're all that and other species or any other thing is secondary. But maybe there there are things beyond our current understanding or maybe things beyond a, an understanding from another 200 years from now that may apply in some place like a Titan. Yes, it could. We're just going by, uh, what I'm going by is looking at the nature of life forms on Earth mm -hmm. and seeing their complexity in light of the super geometric principle right. that the information, <clears throat> the intelligent information necessary to give rise to life is reflected in the complexity of life we observe here. So right. what I'm saying is if the universe has the principles of life built into it, those principles would apply the same everywhere in the universe as they do here. Okay. Can I ask you another question similar to that? Because there, there was this single-celled organism that somebody found. Um, it was part of uh, some single-celled organisms that survived uh, on, on some spacecraft that we flew or satellite that we flew, where uh -huh. we purposefully put them out there to see if they could survive in absolute zero or, or whatever. Yes. And they found this one organism that could be basically frozen, if you will, for mm -hmm. hundreds of years and reanimate whenever the temperature got... Uh, proper enough to do that, which sure. makes me consider time, which mm -hmm. is part of supergeometry and something we really haven't gotten into all that much, uh, because in 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 your supergeometric diagram there are areas uh, above and beyond that which we can see, or or sense, or, or you know, uh, or light and matter and things like that that would technically be faster than light and thereby backwards in time, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'm not sure how that relates with the the organism that you're... Well, time. I'm thinking about. time. I mean, maybe there are organisms that, that could survive, you know, any kind of uh, this this dynamic uh, thing that you're talking about. Uh, well, the dynamism, yes, of our of our particular local environment. Yeah. Uh, the point that, that, that I would ask is this, okay... So it is a marvel that they found an organism that could survive for so many hundreds of years or thousands of years frozen solid. My question would be, would that organism be able to form, to originate in a static environment of solid ice? Mm. That's the question. Could life arise from solid ice? I would say no. Yeah. Because there's, A, there's insufficient dynamism in the system. Right. There's nothing to cause the elements to come together. And since in the solid state it doesn't act as a solvent, there's no way for those elements to join and interact. 
So right. I would say no, life cannot emerge from the beginning in solid ice. Uh, now, let's say we get one of these moons, just saying, for example, in one of these outer planets. And we know there are some that are there. There's at least a couple. I can't remember the names, but they're covered in an ocean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Now you have a solid, uh, a solvent. If the core of the planet is hot to allow that water to remain liquid. Now you have a solvent. Now, there's another thing that could happen there, too. And that is, is that the gravific dynamism, the forces of gravity mm -hmm. on that planet, on that moon, as it revolves around, as it orbits around its, its mother planet, the tensions in there could cause enough Create the dynamism, Tech like dynamism. Uh, yes, exactly. Like in, in Enceladus, that they found was you know, spurting out these uh, little gaps of of water, even though it's really an icy moon. So they figured because it surrounds, I believe it's Jupiter, and the gravity of Jupiter is so tremendous mm -hmm. that the gravity of the its planet, like you said, creates enough dynamism with gravity alone, regardless of where the sun is. Yes, that you would think that the core would be, you know, there would have to be like warm ocean or even hot boiling ocean uh, near the core of that moon that could create the same kinds of of um, uh, intelligent life that we could see, you know, in our boiling oceans or even on our frozen poles. Right. Now, I was talking in general about life. When we talk about intelligent life, there's a lot of additional criteria that needs to be added on top of that. And we could spend, you know, I mean, they could spend whole semesters in university just talking about the fundamentals of that. Mm. So intelligent life is a much higher standard. You know, it's a much higher notch on the ladder that, uh, that you would have to achieve to, to get intelligent life. And that would be difficult, I would think, in an environment like that. There has to be a certain interaction with the environment in order to help develop additional dynamics to bring in a greater complexity of intelligence. Hmm. Uh, take a look at intelligent creatures on our planet and the kind of environments they live in and the interactions that they're able to accomplish in the environment that they live in uh they need a lot of dynamism for those things to develop mm -hmm. as opposed to a clam that doesn't need all that much in uh, dynamism needs some but not a whole lot it doesn't even have eyes right it can't see what it's doing so the clam can only process a very limited amount of information Therefore, the clam is going to be very, very limited in its intelligence. You know, put a human brain inside a clam, it's still going to be a clam. Uh, you know, you right. can't do anything with that higher intelligence in the form of a clam. Uh, so we start looking at these, these, uh, this idea of this super geometric 
database. You know, call it the mind of God, if you will. Christians would call it the word of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and the underlying Greek term logos, which right. we've talked about on this show before. Yeah. Working Absolutely. on the face of reality, shaping it like, uh, you know, so much clay. And when we think about it in that way, we begin to form in our mind mental images that are more in line with the way the universe came into being and how it's evolving. Instead of just being these disparate pieces of information that you can't put together in a big picture because you have no theoretical model in which to plug all these uh, factoids in. Um, so that's the way I, I kind of look at it. Uh, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. Other people <laughs> look at it quite differently. Now, I did actually have a question online. Oh. oh I was cool. looking at uh, a, uh, a page on Facebook. Somebody who I used to have a radio show, they may still do, I don't know. Uh, Eric Reisinger. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was on one of his shows before, uh, a long guy. time ago. Yeah, he's asking me a question. And, you know, one of the questions he asked, if the universe is intelligent, how do we explain the seeming non-abundance of life? Well, I've already talked about that. You know, the conditions have to be right. Mm. Um, for the complexity of such a structure to take place, to give rise. You have to have a certain, you know, kind of dynamism, a certain level of dynamism to make that happen. Um, But he has another question. Now, think about this for a minute because, and and I I don't want to be critical, but I want to point out something about how disorganized our thinking about these can be, these things can be, without an overarching <coughs> theoretical model. Again, like looking at earthquakes and volcanoes and mountain formations as complete separate things. And that we can't answer, we can't figure out how to put them together without the theory of plate tectonics. So he writes, could our physicality be a rarity? I'm not quite sure what that means. Well, he's probably uh, asking if, probably, if, if if humanoid uh, life forms could be uh, likely or possible elsewhere. Well, I think he's talking more along the terms of the universe being physical. Okay. Could our physicality be a rarity? Could we be non-energy and physical, simply not in tune with the rest of the universe? Uh, you can sort of see the mental image behind this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, great I'm question, trying to I look think. at the the question, the 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 image in this person's mind that's giving rise to this question. It's the same thing. I was just talking about the universe, the information pattern of the universe giving rise to what's physical. Mm-hmm. The human brain works the same thing. Way, I believe the creative faculty of the human of the human being with his brains all the way out to his hands 
is a microcosm of the same creative faculty that brought the universe into being. We are built in the image of the mechanism that created the universe. Mm-hmm. That sounds religious, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it does, but it's also, uh, I think, scientific, you know. Uh, it's scientifically uh, reasonable. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you, you talk systems and subsystems, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a hypothesis based on hard observation, not on just wild, feathery realm speculation. So let me try to reckon with this a minute and see what we're talking about here. Uh, could our physicality be a rarity? Well, we would have to say compared to what? So, for example, the universe is physical. Mm-hmm. And the fundamental core of that physicality is the geometry of space-time. Everything in the universe is embroidered into the structure, the scaffolding of space-time. Just like, you know, the little, uh, I don't know, the, the Nike symbol that people have <laughs> on a shirt that they would wear. You know, or any kind of a thing like years ago, there used to be a line of shirts had an alligator on it. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I had some of those. It's embroidered into the fabric of the shirt. Without the fabric, it would be just a bunch of strings spinning in space. So everywhere where there is space time, there is physicality. So that would be the answer to that. It can our... Can our physicality be a rarity compared to what? Compared to another universe that is not physical? Well, it also inv- invites a question when they talk about, and I, I know this is something you're, you're but to, to use the example of uh, the dark matter and the dark energy, and there could be dark uh, particles and dark atoms that we haven't come to understand yet, and dark bosons, where uh, there is no light. And potentially no matter, but there is energy. Yes. But those would be part of the mass energy equation. Uh, They would not exist independently of the geometry of space-time in which they dwell. Because if you're talking about something outside of space-time, you're talking about something outside the universe. And so how do we qualify or quantify that? Or go a step further and say, how can we even observe it if it's not part of the observable universe? Uh, We can measure its effects, but they haven't done that so far. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm working within the confines of this question. And even then, what you're talking about with uh, the dark bosons or dark particles, this kind of thing, do you see how the non-specificity of this question leads the mind into wild speculation? Oh, yeah. Certainly leading mine. You know? <laughs> Where you can go into a million different directions mm-hmm. because we haven't set the standard to define the structure in which we wish to confine our discussion. Mm -hmm. 
And so, that's, Thomas, that's the trouble with uh, the paranormal community. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's what Dr. Stephen Rourke called the feathery realms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so the second you just talk about one thing, you know, oh, this is weird. What about this? And then these speculations go absolutely wild in a thousand different directions. And all you're doing is something that we used to years ago back in the sales business. We used to call that mental masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> all you're doing is is jerking your own mind off. You're not getting anywhere. Yeah. You know, you're not accomplishing anything. Right. All you're doing is exercising your fantasy. Right. Thomas, with, with no end in sight. Right. You know, and, and and I hope that was allowed on the radio. It's not one oh, of the, uh, you know, the forbidden no, it's words. It's not one of those 10 words, no. Yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it. Everybody does mental masturbation right. at some point in time. But when you're trying to be specific and answer a specific question in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. uh, then you have to you have to confine the discussion to a parameter, and that parameter has to have definitions. Right. I know, but, but all of us mental masturbators have to ask you because... You know, in in your book, uh, you you talk about things like non-locality, and and paranormal circumstances, and and the things that would have to really come through the, the these these bubbles that you speak of. Yeah, that well, could help you know, explain not- things. So when we get an idea of talking to you, if anybody could answer the unanswerable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a thousand years from now, the science is going to be a lot different than it is now. So it's yeah. hard to imagine what we know now is everything. You know what I mean? So I that's, understand. And, that's, and that's why true. that's why are, we like to tickle our, our brains, if you will. Sure. But people are capable of confining a conversation to a certain parameter. Thomas, you know, Thomas, we got about five minutes. Um, could we pick that part up next week? Would you be willing to come on? Sure. Yeah, cause we got sure. like, we got like five minutes. Uh, Chip, you have anything else you want to add or or closing? Because we got like five minutes left. Well, uh, just my, my shameless self promotion. I'm hearing kind of an echo on my head. Oh, it's gone now. Uh, uh, yeah, every Monday night, right here on this very radio network, LMMRadioNetwork.com on Studio A. Uh, I do have a show called Kindness Beyond the Veil. Uh, and we kind of look at the kinder sides of paranormal and, and metaphysics and ufology and things of that nature. Uh, uh, coming up this Monday, two guests, uh, Caroline Oceana Ryan, uh, probably best known for her uh, A Message to Lightworkers, which is uh, both in, in email and print and on video on the higher channel uh, via YouTube. Uh, so she's with me for the first hour. And then in the second hour, paranormalist Matt Haas will be joining us. He's uh, got a series of lectures he'll be teaching. He's from the downstate New York area. I've known him for a long time. He's really one of the good guys. So uh, two guests in one show this coming Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on LNMRadioNetwork.com. And next week so, we got we got John Olson coming on a show uh, next Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Excellent. Studio A on the LNM Radio Network. And uh, Thomas, you're going to come back with us next Wednesday, correct? Hmm. 
I can do that. Awesome. Excellent. Now, I only got one question. Okay. I got an LNM question. All right. When is Heather Wade going to have me on her show? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see if we can find some sort of answer for you on that one. Maybe I'll have to write her and ask her. That would that might help, yeah, but uh, I'll do the same. All right. Hopefully we can we can answer your question. Maybe even by next Wednesday at this time. <laughs> hey, do we have any time at all? We got. Are we uh, out of time? Yeah, we got three minutes. I can go. All right. Let me just mention one thing because we're starting to talk about with the paranormal guest and and all that. All these things that I've been talking about about the materialization of information uh, from a source that is not itself material, that the universe materialized uh, in its information materialized from a source that was outside of the material that gave rise to the material. And I just wanted to add in at the very end so that people know what what the connection to all this is, because we're talking about a lot of different things. When it comes to the paranormal, if you look at paranormal phenomena, it is a materialization of information mm -hmm. from a source that's not local. Because if it was local, I mean physically local, you would see the physical source and then it would be normal <laughs> phenomena. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be yeah. paranormal. Right. So that's how all this stuff is, it ties in with the paranormal. Maybe we'll get back to talking about that next week. I don't know. Sounds good. That'd be good. Yeah, non-locality. I think that would be uh, something because you know the what the way you put it makes an awful lot of sense. Again, Thomas Fusco's book, Behind the Cosmic Veil. Uh, we highly recommend CosmicVeil.com because uh, you can find a good sale price for it uh, on CosmicVeil.com, also available on Amazon, uh, Behind the Cosmic Veil, Thomas Fusco. Check it out. Especially makes a great gift for holiday season, and it's something that we are personally thankful for as we approach the day of things to be thankful for here. Yes, and it looks better in your house than it does in the warehouse box. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have yourself a couple copies, one on your bookshelf and one in your bedroom where you can read at night. That's right. Yep, yep. yep. So, uh, and on that, I want to wish everybody a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, don't eat too much turkey tomorrow. Uh, well, there goes my plans down the drain. Well, right. thanks for having me on, guys. You're welcome. Chip, Always a pleasure and an honor, brother. Go ahead and take us out, Chip. All righty. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to The Supernatural Realm with the great Tim Roxbury and yours truly, co-host Chip Reichenthal. Our honored guest, Thomas Fusco, will be joining us next week from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Wednesday. But we're also on Tuesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. And we've always got great guests lined up. Uh, whatever you're doing, don't touch that dial. Great programming coming up next. The wonderful Phenomenal Michael Vera up next with Late Night Independence, so stay tuned. Great radio here all day and all night on lnmradionetwork.com. We love you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe or donate to this network so we can keep these great shows coming at you 
and have a phenomenal Thanksgiving. Good night, everybody. Time for me to smile.